Hello, my name is Miller Pike. I'm a producer and creator located in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and you are once again joining me on AP Studio Files. AP Studio Files. If you're joining us for the first time, please check out season one and two with featured artists such as our fantastic technical producer, Art Kapishki. If you're an old time listener, welcome back. Excited to introduce you to season three, episode five. Give us a follow at AP Studio BK on Instagram and TikTok for more updates. And if you can, support our Patreon in order to listen to our monthly mini episodes. Catherine Maxwell is a choreographer and director and the artistic director of Hivewild, a nonprofit dance organization here in Brooklyn. An Atlanta, Georgia native, she received her bachelor's at Kennesaw State University. Since graduating, she has continued to explore dance as more of a movement system based on sensation rather than image or shape with the body. In 2015, she sold out her first evening-length work and was invited to return the following year to present another full-length work. Through this year came the birth of Hivewild, her dance company, resulting in a lot of buzz and some great works, including Prism in 2019. During 2020, her focused shift, as well as many of ours, and she began conceptualizing a film, which will be out this year, so stay tuned. So... Without further ado, welcome, Catherine. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad it worked out. I will say like your work is one of those things that's like, I've talked to so many people about Prism specifically. I like sobbed during that performance. <laughs> And I saw it twice. Is it bad if I'm like touched by that? No. I mean, I think that's like, you know, that's one of those big questions. Like, why do we make art? You Mm -hmm. know, it was a big one. Mm. It was definitely a big one. So I guess after my little bit more canned intro, tell our audience who you are. Well, I'm Catherine Maxwell. I am a director, choreographer, and artistic director of a nonprofit Brooklyn-based dance company called Hive Wild. I founded the company in 2016. And since then, we've been growing and flourishing amongst many challenges, amongst changes. And I'm really looking forward to seeing where we're going next in terms of how we continue to grow. I can definitely see a lot of fun things about your work coming up. Mm -hmm. Like for those who don't know, Catherine, I think it says a lot to you that the people that you're surrounded with love you (laughs) so much. (laughs) Like your group is so clearly there's a lot of like mutual respect and a lot of love and it comes through in your work. It comes through in you as a person and you should feel very proud of that. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) To get into first little Catherine a little bit, Katie, I don't know. No, No, it's always been Catherine. Totally. Totally. That's a total Southern question. (laughs) That's the most Southern question you probably could have asked. Yeah. I know. And I so appreciate that. You're from Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, we were talking a little bit about about weird Southern connections. <laughs> and like, do you go back? Do you have family there still? How does that place speak to you? Yeah, I do go back. My cool. family is still there. In Atlanta? Um, for the most part. Nice. Yes, all my family except my brother who's out in LA. Mm. But I find a lot of comfort in going home. I have a good relationship with Georgia and I appreciate the landscape. I appreciate like the breathing space it provides. Yep. I appreciate the opportunity to like go downtown (laughs) and also like drive 30 minutes north and like purely be in like the woods. Yeah. So I feel like I have a good relationship with it. I spent a lot of time in the woods 
as a kid and like a lot of time in nature. So it's very fond to me. Yeah, I I feel good about Georgia. It's interesting that you talk about nature because I feel like that was a huge like thing for me as a child as well was being outdoors, being in it. And we also both kind of share something in common, which is like a maybe a slightly alternative education. <laughs> so growing up in Georgia, I don't think of Montessori when I think of Georgia. What was it like? Montessori was perfect for me. Ugh, nice. Uh, Same. <laughs> it was the best thing. And I was my parents put me in traditional school, started me out there and it just wasn't the right fit. And I honestly am like so grateful for them not to have just been like, she just needs to figure it out. Right. Or like, oh, let's just medicate her or, oh, let's just like it just has to work. Mm -hmm. I'm the middle of three in total. And so each of us had a different education, Mm. some overlaps, but generally speaking, it was different. And I really appreciate that. I I really appreciate that they were like, what works for her and not just like what works for the family. And yes, for sure, there's privilege in that, but I didn't have a choice as a child. They chose that for me. And I just, I switched to Montessori starting in third grade, which is older for Montessori usually you're starting in primary and then you go to the lower elementary which is first second and third grade together Mm -hmm. and then fourth fifth and sixth grade together and then a middle school if they have one so I started in third grade so it's a lot later but my memories prior to that schooling are just so few Mm. and my memories starting at Montessori are so abundant that's so telling yeah it really is and I just think that like that was a seed planted in teaching me a few things teaching me how to trust what works yeah how to listen for what is right for me accepting who I am for who I am and exploring like alternatives and exploring change and difference than like a typical structure yeah and the availability to that that like there's not just one way I mean, I didn't have like a grade, like an A, a B until like high school. <laughs> yeah, that was me. I didn't have one until college. And even then I went to a college that did evaluations. So it was like, I was I still that. like, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care what they say. I'm perfect. No. <laughs> God right, pl- right. complex activated. <laughs> I mean, there's some weird stuff that happened in high school because of that. Like, let's just admit it. There's some weird stuff that happened in Catholic high school. Definitely some mean girl moments of like, you need the laboratory pass. And I was like, what are you talking about? I have to pee. Yeah. I I can't just walk across the room. Yeah. It's it's really interesting. I feel like just to kind of go back to saying like that your family, your parents were able to kind of personalize that for you. We expect a lot of kids. We expect a lot of emotional intelligence. We almost expect more emotional intelligence from children sometimes than adults and I feel like I can always figure out when I'm dealing with someone who maybe had I just want to call it maybe like more autonomy in their education I feel like some people have a very vague understanding of Montessori could you give me a little bit more of like a breakdown of maybe what your experience was day to day sure so well just to acknowledge her Maria Montessori was the founder of this system the schooling system and she's a italian woman who came up with this system but the whole idea is around finding elements like using your kinesthetic visual learning skills as opposed to like kind of a 
structure that is like sitting in a desk you look at the chalkboard and you learn there's a level of like the child will tell you what they need the child will be drawn to what they're interested in and there's a level of guidance that is the responsibility of the teacher to make sure they're learning certain lessons right but generally speaking it's also the responsibility of the teacher to encourage the things that the child's interested in it's like great you want to you're really interested in lizards why don't you do a project on lizards and let's like figure out what are the things that you need to do in order to accomplish the goals that are like teaching you lessons needed to learn at this age level Montessori education was created by Dr. Maria Montessori an Italian educator scientist and physician She had just judged a competition on scientific pedagogy and experimental psychology, which she was invited to create a childcare center in a poor inner city district of Rome called San Lorenzo. She opened Casa dei Bambini, or Children's House, in 1907 and used it to test and perfect her educational philosophy. She used hands-on learning, puzzles, cooking, and cleaning to engage her students. She designed learning materials and classrooms meant for foster children's natural desire to learn. She opened more schools in Europe, all targeting the same underserved demographics of the original Casa dei Bambini. When the first Montessori schools opened in America in 1911, they were for the children of wealthy, cultured families and were funded by the likes of Thomas Edison and Alexander Graham Bell. Dr. Montessori's teachings were briefly, wildly popular in America. She gave lecture tours to thousands, but World War I nearly ended the spread of her teachings in the U.S. Anti-immigrant sentiments, travel limitations, and a few influential men who were disdainful of the model caused it to fall out of favor. It wasn't until the 1950s that it took off again. Now there are 5,000 Montessori schools spread across America with more than 1 million students. According to a map on the Association Montessori International website, there are at least 20 Montessori schools in Georgia alone. Montessori schools have diversified. Some are bilingual, immersive language, faith-based, or specialized in students with developmental or learning disabilities. Facilitating knowledge that is pre-existing is so important, and I feel like just not there in the public education system 100%. And it's really tough because I feel like a lot of people get skipped over. I mean, I know like my mom, who's an incredible woman and has found being an artist, quote unquote, later in life Mm -hmm. and is an incredible clay artist and uh, explores that with herself and with her students. She went to high school and didn't know that there was a clay studio in her high school. She always tells that story. She's like, I didn't have anyone kind of like looking out for me, directing me. Oh, maybe Dana would be good at this, blah, 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 and that kind of thing. So it's great to hear that you had that education. I mean, I feel like it shows, (laughs) which kind of brings me to my next question. Can you speak at all to how your upbringing allowed you to stay connected with creativity, with learning, with ultimately dance? Mm all the ways (laughs) no oh that's a really good question i feel like a lot of the elements of my upbringing that i reflect back on positively were ways of teaching me how to listen to my gut Mm. and ways of listening to what feels right what's not the right choice and a further like honestly knowing of myself Mm -hmm. 
There's, I mean, like my head goes in so many different directions, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, I think that that is ultimately such a good base to come out of your education with, like a trust in yourself, an unwillingness to undercut yourself. Like that's huge. Mm-hmm. That's huge, yeah. especially in a creative field, because like nobody gives a fuck. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think also, you know, I think there was moments in my life where I felt called in a certain way or like societal programming telling me you need to do this or you should do that or practically speaking this would be the right answer but I feel like the upbringing that I had provided me such a strong and like durable foundation of trust yourself right listen to what feels right and go follow that path for so long unconsciously I didn't know that but looking back I'm like that's that was the true guide that led me from one thing to the next I can totally relate I think something also that I've learned and I think this like has just come with maybe my 30s and like a few things but waiting also like just waiting and sitting and being like it doesn't feel right yet is a hard one Mm -hmm. and like that being kind of in that waiting period is so uncomfortable for me but like Mm -hmm. knowing it and trusting it and being like it's not right yet I don't need to push people will tell you to push push grind 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 (laughs) and it's like sometimes you just gotta sit in it um and wait which I know you've done a little bit because I know there was something that you were kind of waiting for and manifesting last time we talked which was a location and I saw that you got it you got the location and that was like a couple months of waiting yeah well six months months years well when it came to finding a grocery store to shoot in (laughs) I would say it was almost a year of putting it out there into the world Um, and you got it and we got it we we surely did you got your bathroom you got your perfect grocery store okay amazing we surely did and with the bathroom it just was so kismet because back in July of 2022 we were seeking and like even started to post on Instagram like Mm. just shamelessly can anyone help us no bites wow and then in early October, we did the same thing again. We kind of circled back. We're like, well, now we really need to do it. <laughs> and did the same thing. We finally got to the point where shamelessly, we're like, we're just going to post this on social media. Well, we got a bite and it came through. And it turns out the person whose apartment it was only had moved in two weeks prior. Oh, love it. Not to mention, <laughs> he got the apartment because they quoted him the wrong rent stabilization. Oh. And so he... Illegal! <laughs> so, well, they, he, they basically gave him a better deal than they were supposed to. So he, like, took it as, like, this dancer who lives oh. in Manhattan. A block away from Central Park. <laughs> and oh we got the bathroom because of it. And it's perfect. Oh, no, it is perfect. I mean, we'll get into it more later when we talk about the <laughs> film. But I was kind of thinking about that, like, just sort of sitting and waiting. I'm sort of sitting and waiting and finding the next home for apartment party. And so <laughs> I can very much relate. So moving a little bit more through your life, high school, and it sounds like it was pretty brutal. The dark ages. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to get into it. I know you just mentioned, like, it was, like, very mean <clears throat> girls. It was very culture shock. It was Montessori to Catholic school. I could count more times than I have fingers when someone came up to me my freshman year of high school and said, so did you go to like a school with monks? It was like a a Montessori school. Like people like were so confused. They were like, 
well, we were in the woods. Like, what were you doing? <laughs> and it was so bizarre. I was actually learning about myself. Was something <laughs> you should try. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was learning how to like stalk in the woods barefoot and like make a one match fire. Yeah, I, I was uh, making a bow drill. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually true. No, yeah, I was learning how to make a. I was telling my boyfriend the other day, I was like, I'm pretty sure I could survive if I had like one shoelace because I could make a bow drill and I'd be fine. And I, you know, and I know what edible plants there are. And he was like, okay. I won't lie. I did buy a survival lore guide by the person who I grew up learning from during the pandemic. Uh, Yes. I was like, we probably should have this in the apartment in case shit goes really wild. You're like, they're fighting over toilet paper. What's next? We really don't know. So where does dance start in this world Mm -hmm. for you? Because I know you kind of spoke to like dance really became the important thing when you were sort of choosing colleges like was it going to be something that you were going to continue and I know you got kind of like some talking to's about that but like so where does dance fall into your life at this point well as like ridiculous as it sounds I feel like dance has always been with me from Mm -hmm. like day one of life for me (laughs) nice but I like was put in dance class like baby ballet at like three oh nice and so I was doing that growing up and it kind of just kept my parents really wanted to try to introduce us to different things they're like you want to try softball you want to try karate you want to try gymnastics you want to try theater like we did a little bit of everything which I really appreciated because I got to actually like discern and understand what it feels like to try something and like it to want to stick with it Mm -hmm. or to not yeah and dance was kind of the one constant whether or not I realized it or not there was times where I literally said yes just because I wanted another costume in (laughs) in May yeah I'm gonna be pretty (laughs) yeah basically I was like yes let's do it red lipstick I'm in but it kind of kept getting more serious and you know it got to a point when I was younger it was like The studio was like, we want you to join the company, which was more commitments, more classes. Meanwhile, gymnastics was like, we want you to join team. So my parents were like, well, you probably should choose. Right. So I chose dance. And then when it came to high school, my mom was really committed to trying to get me into a program that had a strong dance component. Cool. And this high school, which was a Catholic high school, was like three years old. It was like a newer school and had a really strong arts program. Cool. And so that was really the reason why I went there. It was like, yeah, it was a good education, but it had a really strong dance program. And so suddenly in high school, beyond the culture shock, I'm dancing at a dance studio in the ballet company and in the jazz company and at school during school in the dance program there and then at school after school in the dance team. Wow. So it was like a lot. Yeah. Maybe, dare I say, too much. (laughs) Never. (laughs) Um, And it was really what shaped my high school. I mean, I lost friends because I couldn't go hang out because I was in rehearsal. You know, that was normal. But it was something that was becoming home for me. Yeah. And then when, you know, we get around to the college stuff and like picking and choosing schools and grades and whatnot, it wasn't necessarily something that I was encouraged to be like, and you want to keep dancing now's the chance like I didn't even know what a professional dancer really I didn't know any professional dance companies at that age I didn't know what a professional dancer got paid I didn't know what any logistical parts of that career really comprised of there's a lot of and I've talked about this with like other guests as well but there's a lot of this sense of like leaving college with a lot of 
practical knowledge, but not professional knowledge. And it's really frustrating. I mean, as someone who graduated with a degree in directing and performance and basically was like, damn, (laughs) what am I going to do? I need to go. Okay. I have to go to FedEx and apparently (laughs) print out a billion things and then just like call everyone or send, you know, that I think like when I was getting out of college, it was like, oh, you have to email your resume to everyone or you have to go buy everything. You have to talk to every agency. You know, it's like all these sort of things. You've only been practicing these practical parts of your craft within your craft and not the professional parts right I don't know if that resonates with you at all 100% I mean what I was speaking to was even prior was Mm. just even the thinking of getting into college college. and so I actually with the encouragement of basically two dance teachers one in particular was my high school teacher Mm -hmm. who sat me down and was like you can't stop dancing I was applying to schools and not sure undecided big quotes on my major and I just I think on the college I landed on put dance down as like a space holder I was like well I'm interested so I got funneled into the dance major and like my parents were like oh and I was like I guess I'm majoring in dance (laughs) you know just kind of kept kind of sticking around like it didn't really matter and my college experience I actually went to one college for my first year and then transferred and by that conversation about transferring my parents had really become super on board and were like okay if you're gonna do this let's get you in a way stronger program so that's where you landed at Kennesaw State yes okay cool yes cool but even at the end like you were speaking about at the end of graduating college you know I turned to the two professors I was closest with and basically said so knowing me knowing my strengths yeah what should I do? Yeah. Where do I go? Where do I go? And literally one of my professors was like, I don't know, maybe go to New York kind of attitude. Wow. Or even I said, what are some of the companies I should be seeking in New York? Mm -hmm. Well, frankly, they weren't that aware of what companies were popular at that time, because although they had had a tenure in New York, it was years ago. Right. Also, I felt very alone very unsure of what to do next and I don't know why if you really think about it it makes no sense but I was like my professor said go to New York so I kind of was just like okay (laughs) you're like sounds good yeah I had a very similar experience where like my professors weren't actually working professionals any longer and weren't connected to the scene I went to two years of a community college and then graduated from my four-year and those community college professors in Dallas were actually way more connected (laughs) to the Dallas theater scene which is I'm very proud of the Dallas theater scene and ton of voiceover comes out of Dallas and they were way more connected than my professors in the Pacific Northwest like yeah but it was crazy very similar experience where should I go what should I do who do I apply to yeah not like, oh, go to L.A. and go to New York. OK, well, who do I talk to there? Right. You right. know, <laughs> like yeah. those are kind of the two big ones. So you make it here. What year is it? 2012. OK, nice. Yes. Congrats. You've got your 10 year chip. Yes, I do. Oh, my gosh. Ooh. That's amazing. I'm excited to get there. So in terms of your work coming out of college, baby Catherine dancer, what are you wanting to create at this point? Like what gap in dance are you wanting to fill at that point mm-hmm. with your vision? Yeah. So I dipped my toe in choreographing in high school a tiny bit okay. and in college a little bit. When I got to New York, I was very much under the impression that I was going to be dancing. 
right. I was like, for sure I'm dancing with the company. <laughs> Period. <laughs> that didn't happen. Because really my choice, I think that that's really where the element of this kind of like invisible calling voice guide was coming into the picture again. Yeah. I just learned really quickly that the opportunities were actually way narrower than I had any idea even at the school I'd graduated from, the college that I had graduated from, there was a few of us that were really strong and we were getting a lot of opportunities performance-wise. So I just don't know if I had a sense of what that world was like, the New York scene. I think that there's an advantage to the students who are going to school in the tri-state area because right. there's like a built-in network and a built-in understanding of just what that world feels like. As I arrived to New York, I wanted to get a sense of kind of like who are the players that I'm interested in working with. Mm -hmm. And I took like a eight week series of like contemporary choreographers. Oh, cool. So it was like one choreographer a week. You learned their rep and got to know them a little bit. But that gave me a really quick sense of like love, love, not so much, not so much, <laughs> not so much. <laughs> Not, 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 you know? <laughs> so immediately I kind of targeted those people as folks I was interested in. And meanwhile, it's just a slow build and it's like a lot of work and like you have like no money and yep. class costs a lot. You're working and it's like, like service industry at this point or nannying, like nannying. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? That's what I first did. So, yeah. So, you know, one <laughs> of my good friends from school who I danced with at college and then danced with outside of college as well was also in the city. And we would rent the studio and go in and mess around. And at first it was like out of, honestly, in a weird way, like artistic survival. Like, yeah. what do we do? Yeah. Gotta uh, yeah. throw this out of my body right now. Yes. And mm -hmm. so she got a couple opportunities of which I think none of those buildings probably are still up. <laughs> and Damn. like super DIY, yeah. like in Williamsburg, like for sure there was like white chairs and we danced with like green apples. Amazing. You know, like, yeah. I don't know. I hardly remember. And then I had the opportunity to give it a try and it just kind of fell. It was like, oh, she's been doing stuff. And then I was like, oh, I think I'm going to also choreograph for this thing. So I was setting a solo on her and there was just something about it. And she's an incredible dancer, incredible performer. She's captivating in and of herself. But there was something about suddenly me making this work and expressing myself and not really worried about like filtering who's going to see this. It was very mm. unapologetically the first time I was like, I can make something that's like, you know, a little subversive. I can make something that is really odd and strange. And there's a permission in that. That's awesome. I feel like when I moved to New York, that permission, like what clothes I wear, I don't know where I go, who I talk to, what I eat, what I drink, whatever, like that permission was given to me. Whereas mm -hmm. like being home, that was one thing I didn't, I felt like very like, I need to do certain things. I need to look a certain way. I need to act a certain way. There's definitely differences in the South for sure. Yeah. And also just like being in your comfort zone. I think that for me was being out of my comfort zone here, being a little bit of kind of an unknown, like you could just go anywhere mm -hmm. and nobody knew you and you <laughs> could like not run into anybody that you know and go out for hours and that kind of thing. I think it's good for creativity. I think it's good to not be seen. I think it's, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I had a very similar experience when I first moved here, nannying when I first moved here. And when I first moved here, though, I knew 
knew that I wanted to be behind the scenes and kind of work more on the production side. And so started working in theater and then have moved more into like music and art world. But it is great to be given that permission to just be like, I can actually make whatever I want happen. Of course, within reason, of course, with a budget, <laughs> unfortunately, because we live under capitalism, yeah, yeah. but uh, hard, and hard, of yes. course not harming anyone, <laughs> but I can put that out there. So it's 2015. It's Brooklyn. It's your first evening length opening to a sold out house. Paint the picture. Paint the gap. <laughs> yeah. After I presented that first piece, mm-hmm. which is called Peel, I figured out that once you have a short little seven minute work, you can like start to apply that to other like emerging or early choreographer experiences or opportunities. Cool. And they put that work in with, you know, another several works and show it. So I started to do that. And I believe that the first time I showed work for Peel was through National Choreography Month. So then the second year came around and that opportunity presented itself again. And I made a short work, which ultimately ended up becoming a film, a very short film called Through the Eyes of My Meal. And then that got on some eyes of some folks who I just knew kind of like I didn't realize who they were. And they were like, oh, would you send us that footage of that dance film you made? And I was like, of course. And they were like, actually, like, we were wanting to support this theater. So we, like, paid, like, the money to, like, support the theater for a show. But we're not artists. We don't make work. We don't have an art uh, artwork right? to put up. I know. I- so do you want it? Do you want to do a show? And I was like, well, yes, of course. <laughs> it's um, paid for? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I love that you mentioned that it was, like, patron funded because I do think that it's good to remind people of, like, the transparency of how I mean people are out there with money and they are not artists but they want there to be art yeah and it's great it's great anyway so like well and I didn't know it wasn't like I'm like oh they're patrons I need to (laughs) like oh it wasn't it was like it was these were folks that I had met and I thought that they were a lovely couple and they asked to see my work and I said sure and I sent it along and I think like there's a lesson there Not to be like, I'm the shiny example, but I think like (laughs) there is something to be said about, I feel like a lot of my experiences, I haven't let second guessing get in the way. Right. And I feel like I've tried not, I've tried, I don't think I've been always successful, but try not to let ego get in the way and just ego's huge, letting it happen. And like, someone wants to see it, you're like, sure, it's unfinished or it's not perfect or it's this and allowing someone in just a little bit and getting a glimpse welcomes it's like the and yes principle of acting you know it's like yeah and yes (laughs) not being too precious with your own work like I think that's one of the great fundamentals that's kind of come out of apartment party as well is like just show it show it this audience is like very primed and ready and kind Mm -hmm. and like when are you gonna get like 40 to 50 people who are just sitting around happy to like always see whatever you're working on (laughs) yeah and I, I think that that that's a huge principle to remember as artists, as people who present work, that's huge. So this first night, I guess, went very well. Yes. So the show was two nights and we sold out both. Woo! The work was called The Growing Beast. It was a really strong cast who came together and we presented as like The Growing Beast by Catherine Maxwell. And truly within a week of that show premiering, the owner of the theater sat me down and was just like, hey, that was awesome. We loved it would you want to come back in a year as a presented artist? Oh, which that's was amazing. really meaningful. And 
the difference of being given the theater versus like a presented artist earning it kind of yeah well with being presented the theater will promote it through their networks they'll put it in their bill they'll put it in their like fall calendar their season whereas like the first opportunity i had with the growing beast was as if they were a renter Mm, and so they gave it to me but I don't nearly get the same level of bells and whistles that I would as a presented artist that's awesome so the second show was Savage and we did that over three nights and it also sold out yeah really well (laughs) and within that first year and second year there was just kind of mumblings about like how to get more support you know, where do we go next? And I was really resistant to falling into the pattern of like starting a company. Um, <laughs> no, it happens. As we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like, I don't want to be tied down. <laughs> well, it was less about being tied down and more about like, there is a practice and this is not to throw, you know, shade at anyone's practice, but it just didn't ring true for me. And the practice is naming a dance company after yourself. Right. I wasn't interested in having the Catherine Maxwell Dance Company. Yeah, no Katie Maxwell here. No Katie Maxwell. (laughs) Please and thank you. Um, But I was interested in creating a platform that can build stability, can prove to people my value way more than just an independent artist. I was interested in creating like a safe place for artists and, you know, creating a platform that like written in the mission, like top three points is like, we want to get funding to pay artists. And that I was really excited about. Yeah, It's a mission we continue to try to succeed at. I won't say we're at a hundred percent, but I do feel like we're constantly stepping in the right direction with that. Well, and I think that you, you know, by putting it kind of under this hive wild, you've been able to create something that is very like collectively owned it feels like like even just interacting with some of your dancers I mean first time meeting them was in 2019 and then seeing them again was that at the end of last year that was yeah just a few months ago seeing them kind of like big kids now and they and y'all have grown together and some of them have like really come into their Mm -hmm. own and it feels very community owned Mm -hmm. like the work that you do I can tell that it's purposeful Mm -hmm. and I think that's really important so it forms these sort of like buzzings these ideas about hive wild can you speak to the name at all I surely can I think if we break the word down thinking about a hive there's things about a hive that I am really interested in the hive is like one of nature's best examples of a collaboration Mm -hmm. there's like a system in place but it takes the whole hive in order to function i do love that there's like a feminine leader aspect to the hive Mm -hmm. i really appreciate that the hexagon is both equally masculine and feminine having like hard lines but also as a circular shape Mm. and i appreciate that bees do two things at once they create one of earth's most like beautiful delicious kind of sacred substances that has both like tasty but also medicinal purposes and is like a part of cultures like ancient cultures as an important part of their existence and simultaneously like they're not just sweet like bees sting they're vicious there's like a fear around them so there's a duality element it's not just one thing it's not just sweet it's not just cute it's not just pretty it's like both yeah and i think that there's a value to that like a complexity to that that i find really important in the way i make work Mm, i love that i think with 
wild wild to me is the acknowledgement of earth and nature knowing better than we do (laughs) and it's to me like wild is your intuition it's like your gut it's like the way you connect with the earth and uh, appreciation for that and like the hope is that through exploring movement there is a level of deepening your understanding with like your intuitive self right and understanding of your placement and grounding within the earth oh I love that that's awesome I mean I'm sure you've thought about this a lot but I really enjoy understanding it fuller so continuing the birth of this collective so it's 2016 you were presented artist it goes swimmingly and this kind of has a little more focus Mm -hmm. at this point for you at that point what are the goals obviously you have this like really amazing name you have this extensive determination of what this project feels like going forward which sounds like it's very grounded and some great respect but you're going forward into the life of hive wild at that point what are some goals what are some thirsty things that you're feeling so a lot of this journey has just been like remarkably charmed in a bizarre way and at the time around that time i sat down with a friend and he was like what do you need like what are you looking for like what's Mm. the thing and it was somewhere within this like hive wild gestation like first year process and i was like honestly i just i need more support like I need more money. Like that was just the honest truth. Yeah. And he was like, well, I think that founding the company as a 501c3 nonprofit will actually help you. And a small aside is that at that moment in time, thankfully grants have adjusted and changed, but at that time, and still, I I suppose a bit, there is a difference between the ability of getting funding. If you are like fiscally sponsored as an artist versus establishing yourself as your own entity and surely there are a lot of complications when it goes into being your own entity but that also opens the door for way more funding right the resources provided to people who are fiscally sponsored are way more minimal at least in my experience i see those grants as being like on average maximum ten thousand dollars yeah versus grants for nonprofit organizations if you want to get city or state funding which can begin at minimum at ten thousand dollars so within that and within my like way little experience at that point in time me just like i need money he goes well i think it would be wise to become a nonprofit, and i actually know a lawyer who could do it for you and works as like pro bonum for artists and has already founded a dance company in the past (laughs) amazing so you're like okay sign me up great so i had talked to the right person (laughs) it was like and then i just kind of said okay (laughs) and thinking back i'm like i was like basically getting married to hive wild and i just was like yeah Fiscal sponsorship is when an individual or group receives funding from a nonprofit organization. It allows artists to receive grants and contributions without having to be a nonprofit themselves, so it's ideal for short term projects. Sponsored artists can benefit from the tax exempt status of the nonprofit, but there's often a service fee of up to 10% that is deducted from the donations. Creating your own 501c3 is an extensive and often expensive process. Not only is there a lot of upfront paperwork, but you also have to keep meticulous financial records that are made available to the public to show how funds are being used. 
You don't need a lawyer to do it, but it can be immensely helpful. Volunteer Lawyers for the Arts, or VLA, is a legal aid and education organization that offers free and low-fee legal services to New York artists and art organizations. They can be found at vlany.org. That's true. You were making a contract with the state. Like a pretty big, with the, with the actual, like. With the government. Yeah, with the government in a very big way. And I think that's. Maybe it's good you didn't know how, what a big decision it was. I think that's what we call a blessing of your 20s. <laughs> right, right, right. I know. I move so much more cautiously now. Uh, I really do. <laughs> like, and I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but I do think saying yes to like things like that with a little bit less knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, you know, that like the innocence of your 20s yeah 100 so i had to jump through some hoops in order to go through that process to work with that specific lawyer okay and once we kind of did the formality of that those hoops being i worked with volunteer lawyers for the arts Mm -hmm. so you have to go through their whole process in order to be quote unquote like matched with a lawyer of which i was yay (laughs) it's a match so (laughs) it's a match and by 20 summer of 2017 we were not only a nonprofit for the state of new york but we were a 501c3 organization awesome um which goes along with like finding a board of directors shout we, out tim shout out <laughs> tim lasalle <laughs> one of him. hive wild's current board of directors <laughs> but there's a lot of growing pains in that and a lot of understanding of like what it means to become an artistic director versus just an artist or just a choreographer oh yeah it's another one of those like crazy business things that they don't tell you at all about there are so many professions and I feel like the older you get the more I know less about my friends jobs (laughs) I'm like cool a nanny great know what that is they're like I'm the managing director of a blah 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 and I'm like woof yeah what does your day-to-day look like they're like I don't know yeah oh my god it's so true um but yeah one of those jobs that you just don't know about well and I think that I had to really reframe what it felt like to take that on I think that's another blessing of my 20s I wasn't entirely understanding what that would mean for me to take on but thankfully despite it having a lot of growing pains I think it was a really great choice to make awesome I mean it definitely seems like it has been (laughs) because you guys are killing it Thank you. <laughs> You're killing it. <laughs> well, yeah. And I mean, I think the other thing I learned within that time and within taking on this new label as artistic director was I learned like creative burnout. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I've ex- um, I'm practiced. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that was really interesting to like understand and start to immediately try to reframe any expectations from board members or patrons or beyond that. I'm not going to like push out an artistic baby every six months because that's what a traditional arts program would have is like spring programming, fall programming, benefit, you know, year end appeal. And like, yeah, we went through that process, but also having to learn like a lot of lessons around what is right for me and what is right for this organization. Well, and I think dance specifically, and this is from an outside perspective, there is a formula and it sounds like maybe that formula wasn't working for you so much. And I do feel, I mean, cause the work that you push out and just the little bit that I heard of kind of your process and the process with your dancers is extensive. <laughs> it's very extensive and it's not popping up, 
you know, the second act of Swan Lake, uh, you know, rehashed again. And the time that you put into your individual leads and it sounds like you guys have found something that's worked. So you did a show in 2017, one in 2018 and Prism in 2019? We've shown work every year, okay. but it's just been a matter of like, at what scale is that work? Right. Sometimes it's been like a shorter piece. Like I presented Raft in the summer of 2017. That was like a 15 to 20 minute piece, but we looped it. It was over two days throughout this dance festival. Oh, okay. And in 2018, I was showing work, but it was like a smaller scale. I was doing things that I was also curating things among other mm. artists mm. and then also showing work in non-traditional spaces, kind of letting myself continue to present work and learning the lesson of two things, learning the lesson A of being in the studio process for the sake of process. Right. And then presenting work at different scales for what part of the process I'm in. Mm. Not necessarily needing it to be an evening length work every year. Right, That's right, not right. realistic at all. No. <laughs> I, so the person that I interviewed last month, DG, he was talking about a project and he basically started a project in 2017 that he presented in 2022. And he's starting a project right now mm. and talking about not presenting it for two or three years. And he's a photographer mm. and he gets, I think, a little bit of that leisure. And I think... I appreciate that you've sort of said no to some of that, like more formulaic dance. <laughs> yeah. But also I think yeah. it's great that you're like working with other people and presenting in ways that are maybe less traditional. So throughout these kind of navigating how you are presenting, what you're presenting, the board, growing up a little bit mm -hmm. in terms of just like who you are as an artist creative are you still dancing at this point or you've completely moved into choreography or what is that looking like for you so I danced with a platform called glow which is an Atlanta-based platform founded by choreographer Lori Stallings who I love very much <laughs> and I started working with Lori in 2010 of which through school, I would have opportunities to be in some of her works and continue to work with her throughout my early years in New York and awesome. would go back to Atlanta and work with her. My last work I did with her was in 2017, oh, wow. which was on the stage of the Atlanta Symphony. We <sighs> did an iteration of Orfeo. Oh my gosh, how cool. GLOW, spelled G-L-O, is a Southern women artist-led intergenerational platform. Its mission is to create practices to raise consciousness, repair communities, create change, and bring forth social impact through direct action. The founder, Laurie Stallings, is a social practice choreographer and trained ballet dancer. She founded GLOW in 2009 to create, quote, staged participatory environments in which histories of care for Southern women and marginalized people are presented as alternatives to discriminatory practices in America, unquote. So I have always kept my work performing separate from Hive Wild. Gotcha. So we would never see you performing your own work. I've done solo work in the past, mm -hmm. but for Hive Wild, I've never performed under like Hive Wild. Right. I feel personally, every artist should make their own choice. But for me and my practice, it doesn't feel authentic for me to insert myself within my own work. Right. I don't feel like I can understand it and get to know it as I build it and create it if I'm also living within it. 
I think I need to do one or the other between. Yeah. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. So how then did this extremely strong group of individuals like your company and I know some of them are newer than others but how did that then form and when did that form sure so there were certain people when I started to present work with the growing beast and then with savage close friends of mine who I was showing work they were dancing with the company of which several of them I consider founding members of the company. Cool. And there's an organic process to that, right? With us being a project-based company, naturally when a project ends, the door remains open. Like I've tried to keep a feeling of an open door policy with my team. You know, if you're available, if you're around, like you're welcome into the studio, you're welcome to be there if it feels right for us. Mm -hmm. And then that organic kind of cycling, almost like you know, it's a constant like cycle process. People can tell me like maybe for their schedule, it's not right. Maybe they took on another work. Maybe they're wanting to go in a different direction, which then opens up space and trying to then figure out like, what do we want to do? How do we want to open the doors? Right. So that process, that first kind of iteration of that kind of organic, like tilling of the soil, changing of the times happened <laughs> in 2018. And so I had an open audition process, which was really fun. And we had a a really nice turnout. I don't remember the actual number, but from there, a team of dancers came in the mix. And some of those folks stayed around for one piece, and some of those folks are still working with me today. And then the same process happened in 2021, late 2021. And we were needing to fill a few more spaces in preparation for this film. So we opened the call up and we had over 200 submissions. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Of which. That's killer. Thanks. Yeah, it was, it was really exciting and very cool to see the level of talent that was coming in. I feel like anytime I've been seeking artists, the level of talent constantly continues to uplift. Oh my gosh. I honestly like can't. The people who are here working right now are so talented. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I see it all over the place and I'm like, you're 21. Like get in here. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. get in the room together. Like I'm so let's excited. Go. Yeah. Let's go. And the confidence and yeah. like, oh, it's killer. Yeah. It really shows that you've taken your time to hone each individual artist within this hive Mm. because they're all freaking awesome (laughs) my first time seeing your work prism which you can go on the hivewild website which is just hivewild.com and you can see excerpts and i would highly highly recommend that the audience go check this out because i cried when i watched it on live and i cried again when i watched it (laughs) recently because it was just ah that is such an incredibly fun fucking hard piece (laughs) it's 50 minutes long when presented Mm -hmm. a workout for your artists there's one moment which I, I don't feel like I'm giving anything away because it is on the website but there's one moment where most of the dancers are in a pile and that is like one of the few times that most of them get a break mm-hmm. and I, yeah. love, I just this little pile just like sweating and breathing <laughs> right. and trying to catch their breath while three other bodies are on top of yeah, you. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know low key 
but your artists are athletes, mm-hmm. which is really fun to work with. How do you approach? I mean, I heard this a little bit at your fundraiser last year, but what is your approach to getting these bodies into your style, mm-hmm. I guess? how do you sort of start are there like signature moves that you look for or like I don't even want columns that but you know like are there signature movements that you can kind of get into a person's body well so in the audition process we do a combination of things like at the beginning of an audition process I will just teach them class cool so I feel like there's an exchange there's an energetic exchange I'm giving something they're giving something And then within that class, we also move into kind of more like prompted improvisational work. So I'll kind of give them a framework and then they'll move their bodies across the floor. And it's an opportunity for me to get to know them. Mm -hmm. It's like a a very brief one-sided conversation (laughs) to which I'm listening. And it's very cool to see what people's natural like impulses are and what they're called to move. And that's where you really get to see them shine because you're going to see what people are most comfortable with. Right. And then from there, we start to teach them phrase work. So choreography that I've already created, presented, um, my dancers know it, they're in the room with me. So it's not just me teaching it and they're only seeing me. It's you're seeing like the choreography on five plus different bodies that know my work and know me. Mm -hmm. So they have an opportunity also to be like, okay, well, this one dancer did it this way, but the other dancer did it a little bit more this way. And so like, how do I, what do I feel called to? What do I want to learn? What choices can I make? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so then I really get to see my language on them. Mm -hmm. And that's where I start to feel like there's, it's just like, it very much feels like who feels right, who feels within this world, but who am I called to not only about their natural impulses Mm. and how their body is moving and the clarity that they're bringing to that, but also like what kind of clarity and understanding are they finding within my movement? Yeah, because I know you were kind of speaking about this a little bit at the fundraiser about how you guys basically had to create a new line. Like this is a language. It is a language through movement and having to kind of like create that a little bit more for yourself so that you could bring these newer dancers in 2021 into that language bubble with you guys. Yeah, I think every choreographer has certain like tendencies, patterns, nuances that are unique to their choreographic voice. Mm -hmm. There's certainly plenty of artists who are incredibly gifted and well beyond me in terms of creating a movement system that is a whole other ball game. Right. But, you know, when you're trying to bring someone into just your sphere, I think it's a matter of understanding their placement in space. It's an understanding of like, if I'm having you extend your arm out to the side and then your chest is intended to then face the arm, is that executed in the way that I'm seeking? Right. After you've seen the choreography a few times or do you constantly like shift your body to the left instead of folding your body in as an example? It's hard to a left-handed speaker instead of a forward-handed speaker. Yeah, yeah. There's, it's just like, yeah. And are you understanding the nuances of that choreography? Mm -hmm. I think that that is something that I'm seeking within the dancers. Well, and I think if you see that automatically, if their brain is connecting to their body the same way that your brain connects to your body or a body that you're trying to inhabit with your work, like if the language is already there, you are gonna have a lot easier time 
to kind of communicate back and forth regarding this choreography. Mm-hmm. 100%. And, you know, beyond just the movement itself, it's also like, where are their eyes looking? How present do they feel in the room? Something that's super important to me and I cherish so deeply is the relationships that I have with this team. Mm-hmm. I have really wanted to create a a world and a community that the dancers feel safe, where they feel heard, where they can express themselves, where they can tell me what's on their mind, where they feel taken care of. I don't always feel like, historically speaking, the dance world has done that well. I don't think the creative world, unfortunately, does it very well. I mean, you can look at some of the same issues in film and theater, you know, with bodily autonomy, just that. Yeah. So, you know, when bringing in new people, it's precious, mm-hmm. you know, there's like, there's a lot of trust. There's a lot of trust, but like, for lack of better words, like I need like a vibe check. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, no, hundred percent. I need to make sure that these are folks who not only move the way I'm hoping that they will, but who are willing to be in community with other dancers who like are down for the woo that I'm going to bring into the room. <laughs> like, are you willing to talk to me about your third chakra? You know, <laughs> I don't, you know just as I'm being silly, but also true. No, and like sure. the more I open the door up to new people, the more I just want to be like purely, honestly, authentically myself in that moment. So there's no questions like, who is this person I'm about to start working with? Right. And before, even once we've distilled it down to even five dancers, I'll share conversations with all of them. Yeah. And I also take my other dancers, the folks who are in the room with me as we're auditioning, I take their opinion so seriously, Mm. you know, and if they have any thoughts or like this person didn't really feel like they were like present or this person like just didn't seem to like enjoy themselves or I shared a conversation with them and it just was like weird. Those things actually go a really long way. Oh, yeah. And I cherish the sacred space that we have not only created but maintained now for several years that I'm like I can't this to me is can't compromise it I can't yeah I really can't yeah so that's 100%. like the most important thing to well me. and when you're creating a community around you like it is an extension of I hate this word but like of your brand mm. too and like there is an importance of having like continuity within that I totally agree I think that I mean I'm super lucky to have incredible people behind me and around me and in apartment party and in this endeavor on the podcast so I 100% agree so you formed this group this group is working really well together and COVID happens and you get into this idea of this film but it sounds like maybe this idea came before but you were presented a little bit more with the time to enact yes this film. So I've really been curious for a long time about the relationship between film and dance Mm -hmm. and have had the opportunity to dip my toe in it in different capacities throughout my time working as a choreographer. I think there's so much opportunity. I think there's so much excitement. It's really cool to see what people are starting to explore and make especially with equipment getting lighter and just it being so much more accessible for Mm -hmm. folks. I mean, even a phone, like an iPhone has an amazing camera. Oh yeah. You know, you could actually make like a pretty amazing piece if you really wanted to with an iPhone. Mm -hmm. Um, Like a little iPhone Steadicam. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. Yes, exactly that. But on my kind of 
bucket list items of like artistic work and dreams. 2020 really allowed me to sit with that and think through what are the things that I really want to accomplish long-term, short-term, and let's then look at that list and see, okay, in this time, what are the opportunities at hand? What really feels like it's the right time to explore. Mm. And it felt by the end of 2020, I had come to the conclusion that creating a more long form dance film project was the right step. And hell yes, I agree. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I was absolutely blown away by the pieces that I saw. Just for the audience, I saw three excerpts from the film that will be coming this year, A Sigh of Origin, which we'll get into that as well. And it is so cool. I've never seen dance filmed like this. I feel like we see dance in music videos. We see dance like filmed, presented on a stage, but I've never seen dance or movement, I should say, filmed in this way. And I I really liked and enjoyed something that you said in that short interview that you gave for the fundraiser about dance being filmed by dancers, Mm. like with purely the movement being the serving factor. Mm. So can you talk a little bit about this first iteration of what this is looking like right now. Yes, (laughs) sure. I'm thrilled. I'm so excited to see it out in the world. Oh man, where do we begin? Okay, the title, A Sigh of Origin. I I just think it's going to be so cool because you're going to have this like really, really fucking tight thing that you can show (laughs) everywhere. It can now be everywhere. (laughs) A Sigh of Origin everywhere. Showing everywhere. (laughs) Period. 2023. (laughs) So I think that the opportunity to create dance and film together. I have these like very detailed, very specific images in mind when I create live work. And I realize when I make work for the main stage, although I've been working with those images, with those sounds, with those movements, when it happens on the stage, even though it's amazing and beautiful and different, it's just so far removed from those initial images that I worked with from Mm. the beginning. And we use our imagination a lot within making dance for the main stage or non-traditional spaces, any live work. And I was really excited to start to put together like, oh, I can put a dancer in the back of a pickup truck and she can be dancing while it's moving. And we don't have to like pretend for a live piece. I'm we so can, excited. <laughs> yeah, we can she's do actually it. in the truck. We can do it. And writing the script, those images with that starting us off was so specific and so strong that I was really excited to start to make that a reality right and truly like holding the director's monitor a year later I was like that's the thing I imagined in my head (laughs) literally in front of me wow and I think you know then within that trying to create not just like I can make a lot of dance and we can put it all on camera (laughs) but it's like how do we then respect the film medium Right. Aspect of this. And how do we allow these two languages to sing together? Mm -hmm. Because at the past, I often feel like one has to get sacrificed for the other. And I think that's kind of what you were saying. And I can totally see how, especially like how we see most dance presented is serving the film. You know, because it is the medium. And so you're dancing towards the camera. You're, you know, choreographed towards the audience, quote unquote. And I think this, I mean, just from the small parts I've seen has really like 
loosed you from mm. that hold that the camera has had on film yeah <laughs> not to get meta but like <laughs> well there's other things that we can dial movement back and it doesn't have to be like an arm and a leg and a head and on the floor which I love but we also can like find when there's a hand reaching to another body mm -hmm. the simple gesture of the hand reaching to the other body and if we're on a tight on that hand, the power of that movement that it can have. I think the, the thing I've always liked about film as a medium is that you have to look at what's on there. And so you as the director, you can force the focus as close as you want. Whereas with a larger medium or in person, obviously anyone could be looking at anything. They could be looking at the light. So I do think that that is such a cool, I don't know, just like, crunchy part of it <laughs> yeah well and I just saw an amazing live work last week but I saw I saw it two different nights mm. the first I was in the back of the house so I got to see the whole stage really wide and that was its own experience and three days later I sat in the second row and I saw the piece again holy shit and that just confirmed this feeling of like what the effect of your distance from the work can have for mm -hmm. better or for worse on the piece and your understanding of the piece so there is like when bringing dance to camera, you're providing that opportunity at a more like equal playing field for the viewer. Right. Everyone can witness if the director or the choreographer wants just the focus to be on the cheekbone. <laughs> everyone can simply focus on the cheekbone. Mm -hmm. It almost gives you a little bit more control over like, I mean, it definitely <laughs> gives you more control over the perception, but you know, like for be better fun. and for worse. <laughs> You're like, oh my God, focus on the cheek. <laughs> <laughs> you better. You better. So that process really began in 2021. So January of 2021, I wrote the script and it really felt like it kind of just fell out of me. That's awesome. It was just like, no pushing. I sat down, no pushing, <laughs> no epidural. Baby. <laughs> it was just like, here we go. But I truly just sat down one day and it was like, it just came there it was right there in front of me has that happened with pieces like have you written pieces in the same way before or is this kind of different experience I've never written a script before okay yeah 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 and I'll just shamelessly admit it because I'm usually working so abstractly that's kind of what I was wondering yeah and usually within my live works I start with like pure choreography and mm. then slowly build into scenes which then I start to decide the sequence of those scenes for the larger piece gotcha but for this it was like I sat down and I wrote there's a dancer sitting in the back of the truck and mm. you know I tried to write the script in a way that obviously with a the script there's usually dialogue right and so I tried to write instead of dialogue if it was one dancer doing it I would try to write what was happening in a larger framework I wouldn't necessarily like, say her arm reaches up and she touches her shoulder I wasn't choreographing for the script but I was giving us a guideline of what was happening within that scene for this character and did that touch on like emotional range that happens for this character or was that more focused on the character experiences this and therefore okay yes yeah. more on the experience more on her track like what is physically tangibly happening in that moment mm -hmm. and you know a lot of this when I started I thought would have actually even more dance than the film I ended up having mm. I say that in a particular way, just saying like dance versus movement, like movement guides every action in this entire piece. 
Yeah. But it's like, when do we make the choice to step over that line into like five, six, seven, eight? <laughs> right. 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 Well, you showed several different, obviously one that is very dance driven and then another scene that is much more exploratory much more just like movement which is really cool I mean I'm just I'm so thrilled to see all of it so filming started when so in January of 2021 I wrote the script and then basically all of 2021 I spent generating choreography just pure movement with a smaller team okay and And that was kind of like your OGs Yeah, the folks that were in the time like available and interested in continuing who I asked, like, do you want to be in this? They said yes. And then at the end of 2021, we filled the gaps in the cast of who else I needed to be a part of it, which is where we had our audition. And then all of January and basically most of February of 2022, we were like, we're about to shoot this film. We're about to go into production. (laughs) So these new dancers needed to learn everything wow and like, they needed to learn this language yes yeah 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 throughout 2021 there was also like conversations beginning with my costume designer and location scouting and all of those logistical parts of pre-production gotta get that grocery store <laughs> all of it all of it and forgive me if i'm wrong but someone very close to you is a filmmaker as well right so you have some of that help in that area or like pre-production knowledge when it comes to that kind of stuff my partner is a dp okay that's what yeah Uh, taylor and tisdell is a very gifted dp and director and so he was immediately brought on when I started to work on this gorgeous um Taylor has a history of shooting for dance whether that's with me or with other choreographers and dancers so he sort of speaks the language he definitely speaks the language he dances himself when he's camera operating oh my gosh I love it um well he's not actually a dancer I'm just saying like he feels (laughs) he feels it he feels it but it was really helpful to have him side by side with me and willing to kind of dive in and you know, I will shamelessly admit, like, this is my directorial debut hey. as a filmmaker. I don't think you should, I mean, start new things all the time. Learn yeah. new things all the time. And I didn't bring him up at all to undercut your, like, work that you've done. More to just say, like, it takes everyone around us yeah. to help us. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that what I appreciated was, is, like, between Taylor and my assistant director, Lauren Fondren, massive shout out to Lauren Fondren, who is a, a way more seasoned filmmaker. The two of them believed in me and were willing to like help me fill the gaps in my like technical knowledge mm-hmm. in terms of what it took to make this happen. I've been kind of using the descriptor of like, I've been learning how to become fluent in film. <laughs> like for a while I was like, conversational right and now I feel like I'm getting a little bit more fluent mm-hmm. and like I'm definitely not a hundred percent but just in this you know crash course in directing it's been a really great opportunity just to begin to understand logistically what things need to happen how to speak about lenses the way to like bridge the creative speak with the more technical and logistical speak because it sounds like you had a very specific vision especially for some of these spaces and it doesn't sound like you've had to like compromise that at all which is great I really believe that the thing will come (laughs) you know like I've really believed that like 
I think that as I put more energy into the work, whether it's a film, whether it's a live work, the more energy I put into that, it becomes its own creature. Right. And so there's also a conversation that begins between me and a side of origin, this living entity. Right. And I have to trust in that entity's process. And so I think like not applying force energy, but listening to her and being like willing to be like, okay, it's not the right thing. Or when she's like, no, we logistically or realistically need to pivot, then I will be. But that feeling of you do need to pivot, this isn't going to happen versus just chill. Mm -hmm. It's coming. Wait a second. Yeah. Feels very different. Like in my body, it feels really different. I can totally see that. I mean, I know you were like really in the grocery store. You were manifesting that and it, and it really came. manifesting it. it. It really did. And the baby will be fully birthed <laughs> by the end of this year. Yes. That's so exciting. Well, we're kind of wrapping up a little bit. I'm super excited to see what becomes of Visayah of Origin and also just Hive Wild in general mm-hmm. and huge fan of your career. I do have one final question, which is my thesis question for this <laughs> season. So when I started Apartment Party in 2020, I was really thinking about like community and like what this was all going to look like. And this question has spiraled first season I was asking you know what does joy look like in a community setting going forward everyone said support 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 that came in a lot of different ways you know monetary support which you know I know we've both kind of come up against those walls before and then in the second season I asked a more pointed question about support what methods of community support inspire you mutual aid all these different organizations grant programs blah 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 and I got really focused on kind of what art and artists look like going forward in more of like a true systematic place. So my question for the final or for not the final season for this season is (laughs) spoiler alert. No, I'm joking. Uh, We are going to continue (laughs) interviewing people. So if true governmental and societal shifts could be made to how the world views art and artists, what does that look like to you? I think that artists are valid without needing to produce. Mm. And artists are accepted and supported and celebrated for simply being artists and creating and exploring and experimenting at the pace and time that is suitable to their practice and valid not by a work or not by the product or not by the completion, but validated and supported and encouraged by process alone. Mm. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Give us the money. (laughs) Give it all to me. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I can really see that value in your work. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. This is amazing. Um, Tell everyone where to find you and we'll also have it posted in the link. Sure. So you can find me personally, Mm -hmm. Catherine Maxwell at Catherine-Maxwell.com or at kmaxwell with no A. K-M-X-W-E-L-L on Instagram. And you can find Hive Wild at 
hivewild on instagram and www.hivewild.com Woo! and check out some of those short videos that she has on hivewild.com because they are truly super inspiring and i think we'll give you just a tiniest bit of glimpse of like what this film is going Mm. to be so yes and stay tuned because we will definitely be bringing a sigh of origin out to premiere later this year Ah! so stay around and stay tuned (laughs) (laughs) all right thank you so much Catherine. thank you miller (laughs) ap studio files AP Studio Files can be found on all streaming platforms. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at AP Studio BK. Stay tuned to our Instagram about upcoming parties this spring. AP Studio Files is hosted by Miller Pike with technical production by Artie Kapishki, photography by Tucker W. Mitchell, and research by H. Conley with music by Fab the Duo. 